0: Morning. it's in your name we pray amen you can be seated what is shaping you what are what are you being shaped by what does that actually look like like if we were to take a look at your life and we were to take a look at uh, every aspect of your life your life your relationships your work your attitude, your joy, your sorrow, your suffering, your, your, your bank account, your, uh, what you spend your time on, what entertains you, what ministers to you, what, what brings you joy, what brings you satisfaction, what is that being shaped by? God has a plan And it's not just a plan for your life, it's a plan for our life. And that plan is just briefly stated in Ephesians 1.10 and it leads us to our passage this morning, which is chapter two verses 19 through 22. But Ephesians 1.10 says that his plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And God's plan for uniting all things, uniting relationships, uniting people together is far different than anything that we see in our world, in our political system, in our education system, in our communities, in our work, in in our families, everything. God's plan for the unification of all things is vastly different than you could possibly imagine. And one of the one of the I most I almost want to call it the, one of the strangest stories. I started thinking about this after I started to study, but you might remember back in 2017. In fact, it was uh, August 11th, 2017, where there was a Unite the Right rally. There was a Unite the Right rally, and so this rally is being. Uh, uh, Touted as something that is going to unite people, and yet the oxy- oxymoron, the conundrum that this rally made what, what is just astounding because it ultimately turned out to be extremely racist. As, as in, like, you will not replace us, meaning other races will not replace us white men. Jews will not replace us. A, uh, a sentiment, I believe, that is from Nazi Germany and other statements that were made and, and yelled. And I love what uh, Wikipedia adds at the end of that. The group was primarily composed of white men, many of them wielding tiki torches. Like, it it's just, just sounds like a tiki torch. That just feels so anti-masculine that... Um, the, the whole thing was a contradiction because it's, it's saying that we, we want to bring unity to something, but that unity comes through disunity. That unity comes through uh, the, these means, that, and this is our means. And you might look at that and you say, I would never do that. The, the problem is, is that man's response to disunity is always to say, oh, I know what will fix it. It's a, a, a tiki torch and some racist statements, and we'll walk through the campus of University of Virginia. Seems like a strange thing. And you can look at that and you can say, well, that's them, that's neo-Nazis, that's alt-right, that's whatever it is. But the truth is, is that that's the heart of man and woman. That's humanity, that's original sin. That the heart of humanity is deeply, deeply set on disunity. And yet, it, is, it humanity, me, you, us, together, because of our first parent's sin, all of us have become sinful, all of us are sinful, and even our means at trying not to commit sin actually causes us to be even more sinful. It's, it's horrendous. God has another way of unity. God has another way of unity. And I, I wanna look at three things today What did God do in the past? What is he doing now in the present? And how can we participate with that? The future. What what did God do? What, what What did God do to enable what he said, his plan for the fullness of time? Which, by the way, he's God, so his plan is happening has happened is going to happen it is definite his plan to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth is happening and the only question is whether you will participate with it because what's shaping you what has shaped you is leading you toward that future There's a study that came out just recently that that basically said that evangelical Christians are increasingly becoming influenced by the world around them. In all of the things that they accept, in all of the things that they believe, theologically, sexually, uh, relationally, about the church, all that stuff, like our, the, the evangelical Christians are deeply troubled people that do not understand truth, do not understand the Word of God, and something is shaping them. And I will tell you this, that it is being shaped by our sin nature through culture. It is being shaped in that way. And the question is this, whether you will avail yourself, whether, whether you will say, uh, Lord Jesus, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Like, my propensity is towards my sin. My propensity is towards disunity. What I'm deeply longing for is not your word, but I'm deeply longing for self-satisfaction. I'm deeply longing to gratify my flesh. And the only thing that'll change that is the power of the Holy Spirit. The only thing that'll change that is God working in your life through his spirit, and changing you. What we get wrong is this. We haven't just been saved from Satan's sin and death, but we've been saved to something. We haven't been just saved from these things, but we've been saved to things, or to something that is much larger than who we are. Take a look at the, uh, the first verse there. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then if you also look down at verse 21, it says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. There's three things there that most commentators point out, three areas, three uh, descriptions of what, of what God is doing to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's three descriptions. He talks about a nation, which is fellow citizens. He talks about a family, which is members of God's household. And then the third thing is a temple. He likens the thing that you've been saved to in those three things, a nation, a family, and a temple. And now, what, what we ha- the question we have to ask is, what is, what is God doing here? What is, what or what did God do? What, what did he do through this when, when he says, like, you're no longer a stranger or an alien. You're no longer alienated from God, but you've been put in this position. Now let me, let, this is something that popped in my head, I think, just yesterday. Like, God did not say, as long as you participate with me in the things that I want you to participate in, As long as you are living rightly, then you will be those things. No, it is, you are no longer a stranger or an alien. You're no longer that. It's what he has already done. And what the passage is communicating to us is it's saying, become who you already are. This is who you are. This is what you are. So he talks about three different things, a nation, a family, and a temple and I think it teaches us a couple things about how we should actually be shaped, how we should be marked by these relationships. Take uh, for consideration a nation. In a nation, we have fellow citizens. We have all kinds of people. We have all, all, all kinds of ways of life. We have different types of people that are all over the place. In our nation, it, we have All different types of segments of people and during better times in our nation perhaps there was a greater unity that happened in between those groups of people but today it's not like that this is talking about a nation that God has created it's talking about a nation that God has defined our nation is defined by certain documents such as the Declaration of Independence The Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, those types of things define us. They shape us. They shape the the national conversation about, obviously, guns, civil rights, Uh, justice whatever that looks like this is what justice is this is what it's like we're gathered around these documents and we have this in common we gather under a common flag we gather together with people from all different kinds of nations and we come together and we say we are a nation and these are the things that define us God's intent is that you would be unified with other believers who look nothing like you. God's intent is, is this, is that there is, here are these defining documents and this is what holds us together. It's supposed to hold us together, but what's happening is this, is that each of us has a different idea of what the church should look like. Each of us has different defining documents. Remember I asked you, what is shaping you what shapes your opinion of what the local church is? What shapes your opinion of what God has called you to? What is shaping... Oh my gosh. Holy cow. That scared the heaven out of me. Oh my gosh. Uh, we are trying to figure out what that is. There's a demon in, in our sound system. It keeps happening. We thought we handled it this last week. We did not. So. Uh, we are uh, we're working on it feverishly, totally lost where I was at. God's intent is that you'd be unified with other believers. What brings disunity among us? It's our silly understanding of what God has called us to. So when people come to the local church and they say, if your thing happens to also be my thing, then we can do a thing together, we can be a thing. But if your thing is not my thing, then we're not a thing. So what's your thing? I mean, is it adoption, homeschooling, used to be birthing methods? That was, that, was, that was one at one time. Is it uh, style? Is it... Um, is it like, you know, I, I like this, but I don't like that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with these kinds of things, but not that thing. I don't know why I turned into an effeminate voice right there, but um, I should be holding a tiki torch. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm not a racist, sorry, but that's terrible, okay. Uh, is, is the church's thing my thing? Is, is that what it is? He's talking about a nation that, that says, these, this, these are the things that define us. These are the things that hold us together. These are the, the, these are the people, even though they look nothing like me at times, I might, I might find some people that I enjoy hanging out with, but there's people in this nation that I just have very little in common with other than the fact that like we believe the same things about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We believe we hold to the same values. Like there's these core values that are there. But to come to the local church and to say, or to Jesus' church and, and to say, like if your thing is not my thing, then we can't be a thing. It, it is essentially to say, it, it is essentially to renounce your citizenship. It's to say, I'm, I'm renouncing that. I'm not, I'm not a part of that. I mean, you've seen that happen when somebody gets elected that you know, some celebrity doesn't want to get elected, and they say, we're moving to Canada if that guy gets elected. I'm going to renounce my citizenship, and I, I'm not entirely disappointed about that sometimes, but uh, like, Man, that might be a good thing for you. Canada's great. Like, you should go there, but that's what happens. It's, it's, it's a rejection of what God has called you to. When you say like my preferences, my my the things that I want to consume, the ideas that I want you to be a part a, about, that like that's as long as you're about those things, then we can be together. But if you're not, I'm out. It's to renounce what what. What God has for you. Like, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. And the, the resounding just frustration that there is by many today with what is happening in, evangelical, in the evangelical church. Between the different sides of various issues and, and things like that is, is just astounding. It says, it says this. I've been shaped by something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, I've been shaped by a worldview that is essentially bent on, on self-satisfaction. Like how often do we serve someone else in our elections? Like when I go to the, the polls, when I go to to vote, am I voting for those people that are really suffering right now? I mean, sometimes maybe you are. But many times we're not. We're we're saying, I'm voting for the thing that makes me most comfortable. What am I shaped by? I am shaped by a whole life that says "I, I am about self, I'm about my satisfaction, and that's what it should be. Our entire political system is continuing to go to hell in a handbasket because it is deeply, deeply rooted in consumerism. You want that? Guess what? Me and my party, we will give it to you. You want that? You want this? You want this? Okay, I will find a way to make you believe that that's what we're going to do. And we will really see, don't pay attention to that, alright? Uh, we will really see if, you know, if this comes, comes to fruition after election day, but between now and then, you better believe it, I'm about your thing. So what's, so what's, your, what's your deal shaped by? We come to the church and we treat it like it's our, our nation, but God's definition of what a nation is, is something completely different than what ours is. Our way of thinking is that unification comes through separation. I'll go find people that agree with me. I'll go find a church that agrees with me. By the way, I don't really know of anybody that's left our church. About that. I'm at least not thinking of anybody that's left our church about this. So I'm not even speaking to anybody. If you're about to leave, this is for you, but uh, for sure. So, um, uh, but I'm not lying. I, I don't really know of that. Our way of thinking is that unification comes through separation. God's way of unification is through integration. He reintegrates us into, with other image bearers in this like melting pot of a society that is deeply rooted in the idea of Christ and him crucified in my place for my sins. And I am no longer, no longer ruled by the passions of my flesh that lead me to be about myself. So that's a nation. What about a family? Members of God's household, it says there in verse 19. What is this whole idea of a family? What is, what is the Apostle Paul, what is God trying to say through the Apostle Paul? What's he, what's he saying to us there? You know, I don't know if you've ever been to counseling. I've been to a lot of counseling um, uh, o- over my life. <laughs> you might be able to tell, like, well, Matt, you seem better than you were. Um, but I've been, I've been to some counseling before. I, I've been in some counseling situations and, and and really every time the counselor typically asks, what's your family like? Tell me tell me about your dad. Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your siblings. Where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? What did that look like for you? And what what are, why are they asking that? Why does the counselor say that? Well, I say, you know. Um, my, you know, what, whatever it is you say about your parent. My dad was really angry or my, my dad was really passive. My dad was this and he used to yell at me or he really used to encourage me or he, whatever it is. My mom uh, used to be ultra critical or my mom was just a, an amazing woman and, and I loved every moment with her or, or my siblings really uh, hurt me or I just love my siblings and we're together and why, why do they ask that? Because it shapes you. Because it marks you. It marks you like indelibly so much so that it affects your relationships. It affects your future marriage. It affects everything about you. That's the way it's been for me. I remember not too long after we got married, it was was a handful of years, but I, I remember just thinking to myself, you know, like when I my idea of of dinner time was like, we should put a placemat down and a plate and and set the table or whatever, because that's what I had to do. Every night, we had dinner for some odd reason. It was completely formal when I was a kid. It was like, I had to put the placemats down and somebody else had to set out the silverware. I think it was something that my dad really wanted. I'm not really sure, but then I got married and I'm like, you know, we put a plate on the table. You know, we're not living like... You know country bumpkins or something like that like but it was just like that's not what we did and so one day i, I said to my wife i was like, like why don't why don't we do that and, and that just wasn't even a thought to her that 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 that's exactly what we should do we didn't need the formality of that because of that. But I was deeply marked by something as simple as a place setting at the table. It just didn't feel like dinner entirely to me. And now that's been like 15 years ago. And so now it's like, you know, we do have dinners like that occasionally. But it's not every dinner. We have four kids. You just throw a plate out there and slop some food. No, that's not what we do. But, but it deeply marks us. It deeply deeply marks you and I, it, it, it changes the way that we live and the way that we act and it, it, it marks everything that we're doing. And, and what the Apostle Paul is showing us here is, is he's saying, you're not just a citizen that's gathered around these founding documents that has, you have nothing in common with this other person, but yet you're a part of the same nation, and so that's what you have in common is your nationality, but you're also a family member. Do you see how it's progressively moving towards this greater sense of intimacy? It's moving towards a greater sense of relationship. It's moving towards a greater sense of care for one another. Like, in a healthy family, there's this idea of, like, you care about one another. I mean, this is what we're constantly trying to tell our kids. Like, you can't treat your sibling like that. You're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to serve one another. You're supposed to do these things. In a family that works well, those things are growing. Greater sense of intimacy. Greater sense of relationship. Greater sense of care for one another and it marks you. It marks your life. It shapes you. What's Paul trying to tell us? You are to be shaped by the family of God. Are you being shaped by the family of God? You know, we have families who have members that are like estranged from one another. Where, where it's like, they don't come to Thanksgiving or Christmas, they don't call, they don't write. And Occasionally we'll see them and it's pretty awkward. Is that what God's calling you to? You see, God saved you from sin, but is he calling you to be estranged from his family? Do you have close personal relationships in this church? Are you close with people in, in such a way that you could call them a family member? Is it, is, it, has it defined you? Are you marked by somebody in the local church? Are, are, or are you a stranger and an alien in your own family? It doesn't mean that you're not in the family. It just means that you're just not participating. What did God do? God made you a nation. God made you a family, and it should mark us. In fact, Jesus in Mark chapter three is uh, somewhere, and some people come up to him and say, "Your, your mom and your brothers are outside and they're looking for you. And Jesus says, who's my mom and my brothers? Who is that? And then he turns and he looks at everybody in Mark 3, 34, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. He's talking about his disciples. He's talking about the people that are close to him. What's Jesus insinuating there? Like, very, a very robust insinuation, but the insinuation is this, is that the people that I'm in community with are as close to me as my family, and in fact, may be closer. It's that the bond that you have with the family of God is something that is to be so close that they become like family to you. They become like people that you're deeply connected with. They, they become like people that you are, you're so connected with that like there might even be fights that happen. There might be d- disagreements. Because that's actually where real relationship happens. Real relationship happens in a family where you you live with someone and they don't put away their dishes, or, or or they 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 play loud music at night when you're trying to sleep, or something like that. That's real family. That's real conflict. Like you don't have real family without conflict. Like that that doesn't happen. But some of us try to stay out of conflict so much that they say, you know I. I just, I like the church, I just don't like the people of the church. And what you're saying is, you're saying, I renounce my citizenship, I'm going to live like a stranger and an alien to my family, because there's conflict there. Of course there's conflict there. And certainly there are dysfunctional churches, there's dysfunctional groups inside of functional churches, there's dysfunctional community groups, why? Because you're there. Because I'm there. Because our way of reconciliation, our way of unity is actually through separation. We've been shaped by a culture that says, you know how I'll get unity? I'll just separate from these people. But it flies in the face of what God has for you. It flies in the face of what God has for you. A temple. Why does he describe it as a temple? Well, because in a temple is where God is corporately and collectively encountered. Old Testament temples were essentially a place to go meet with God. God was there. Everything in there has been sanctified. It's been sprinkled with this and that and the other thing and smoke and all this stuff, all of these rules and regulations that God had defined here and he he said, this is how this place is to be holy, like everything inside of it has been sanctified. And in order for the priest to even go into God, it took him a long time to do all of the washings and all of the things and all of the sacrifices in order to even go in and be with the presence of God. There was this holiness about it. There was this repentance about it. It was, it was coming to God and saying, and saying like, I'm bringing This sacrifice, this animal, this unblemished animal, and it needs to be sacrificed for my sins. They had sacrifices for sins that you did unwittingly. Like, I don't even know the sins that I have, but here's a sacrifice for that one. And then here's a sacrifice for that one. It's a place of repentance. It's a place of regularly coming and saying, yes, I'm in need of the mercy of God. That's what it was. But it's also a container. It contains something. It contains God himself. Look at, look at what the passage actually says there. In, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So there's, the, there's, this, there's this idea of how we are each uh, a stone here, and we're being joined together, it's like arm in arm, like each of us, and then like we're building a wall, so there's somebody on top of me, and on top of them, and then somebody's the roof, I don't know which one of you is the roof, or whatever, but there's, there's a roof, and there's, there's this temple, and it's completely enclosed, and then it says, in him you also are being built together, Look at remember the, the verse just previous, being joined together, you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And what is that saying? It's saying that each of us collectively, corporately, are being built together and inside of us, inside of our thing right here, not this building, but inside of us as people, like is the presence of God. It's the presence, it's God himself is in our midst. God himself is here. He is with us. He's a part of us. He's in us. We can't get away from him. We can't get him off of us because we are together. See, what, what that's saying is this, is that there is an experience with God that can only happen when you are with God's people. When I... uh Bought my house, there, there were bricks everywhere. Like bricks all over the place. And somebody had built this brick thing and then I took an excavator and I dug it up and I, I was like, oh, I'll just like, leave it in a pile here. And then I flattened the pile out and then now there's bricks in there and there's bricks everywhere. So every, all the time I'm like digging stuff up and like, dang it, there's another brick. Like I put bricks everywhere. But you think about that, here's this little red brick And it's just like sitting out in the middle of my yard somewhere, it's buried, something like that. It has no purpose. It's taking up space. But I got lots of bricks that are on my brick patio, they're all working together. But there's lots of bricks that are out there that are just doing their thing. And what good does it do for a brick to be by itself? It doesn't do anything. It is not a full wall. There's a lie that that we've been told, that you on your own can contain the sum total of the Spirit of God in a way that just will be just fine. That's not to say that you are not those things. As I said, this is what God has done. He did it. He has caused you to be a brick that is supposed to be in a wall, don't think about Pink Floyd right now. he has caused you to be that, and yet you choose to just be off in the field somewhere. Some some of us do. Not only are we a nation, not only are we a family, but we are a container of the Spirit of God in a way that cannot happen in any other way. And it doesn't have to do with a building, it has to do with a gathering of God's people, who act like family, and who wholeheartedly contain the presence of God in a way that maybe we haven't experienced. Do you see that? Do you see what's, what's happening? What has God done? He made us a nation, a family, a temple. What is he doing now? Let me ask you this. How can you effectively live for God when you are effectively dislocated from the family of God? How, how, how can that happen? No one knows your stuff. No one challenges you on anything. How can you, how can that happen? There should be something that marks us. Here's here's a way to get at that. If I were to ask you to point to one person with whom you practice the one another's within this church, could you honestly do it? Is there anybody that you've had to love in spite of their bad breath, their irritating qualities. If not, there's probably some people <laughs> that are having to love you, right? Is, is there anybody that knows your stuff? Is there anybody that you could point to and say, yep, that person. Maybe you're new here, and I'm, I, I hope you get to know people on that level. But is, is there anybody in this local gathering of the church that you'd say, that's a brother, and you can call me on stuff. That's a sister, and I listen to what she has to say. Do you have a connection with people that is on that level? Is, is, is there a sense that you, that you find that where you say, You know what, I care about where the local church is going. We talked last week in Silverton, we met in Silverton last week. Um, I hope you were there, it was an amazing time together. But we talked about the need for us to engage. What's God doing right now? A bunch of people have moved around, like our church didn't shrink, it grew, but a bunch of people still left. I don't even know all of them, but you know, sometimes I look around and I just go, I don't even know who all these people are. I'm increasingly, since COVID, I'm getting to know a lot more people. I've talked to many pastors, feel the same way. I feel like I'm having to get to know a whole new church. I just don't know these people. I don't know if I have the energy for that is what they've said at times. But a lot of people have moved around and the question is, is have you engaged with the local church? Have you, have you committed yourself to this family? And by, by that I mean this, like do, do you know someone and more than just know them, are you deeply connected with them and living in, in, in community? Or have you been kinda pushing off community for a while? Are you so connected that you say, you know what? I care about where this church is going and so therefore I'm giving financially. It's a hard thing to talk about right now because of inflation and gas prices, it's a heavy thing but at the same time, it's like, man, are, are you invested in the family? Are you a part of this nation? Are you, are you invested in the temple that God is building here with his people? Are you, are you invested in the idea of, of the reality that God is doing this not just here, but he's doing this now in Silverton? Did you know that our church here is supporting that church right now until they have full-fledged members that are fully giving, even though they are giving? But like that's what, that's what happens here. We care about other people. It's not just about, I'm not voting just for me. I'm voting for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done in and through his local church and that we believe in the planting of churches all over this area that are gospel-shaped people What's God doing? He's always drawing us into community. He's drawing you into community. You just came here, awesome. Commit, engage. Be, be, like You gotta be able to answer that question. Who do I know and who knows me? How am I invested here? What does that look like for me? And lastly, how can I participate in that? Well, you can participate in that in this way, that you would be shaped by the gospel. If you look at that middle, that middle verse there, which says this, ah dang it, wherever I put it, I should have it right here, there we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What are your foundational documents? For our country, it is the Declaration of Independence, it is the Bill of Rights and all these other things, but those are key. What are our foundational documents? It is the Word of God. It is not progressive in any way, meaning it does not change. The Word of God stands as is. That's, that's what's taking place here. That's what we're doing. That's what we're, that's what we're building on. That's the foundation. How, how does this come to fruition? What's the future look like? The future only looks bright if Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is the one who's setting the trajectory. I'm a builder by trade did a lot of foundations and ultimately you have to set up batter boards and the way that we build today uh, in order to get the foundation straight but Jesus in his day it was a stone that was laid in the corner and everything was taken off of that stone so that stone had to be perfectly straight in order for the house in order for the temple to be built straight. Jesus completely straight completely level completely everything and yet he's the one who became a stranger he's the one that became an alien so that you could be a part of the nation so that you could be a part of the family so that you could be a part of the temple Remember what I said, the temple is made up of holy things. Well, Men and women, you and I are not holy in and of ourselves. We are not sanctified in and of ourselves, but in Jesus Christ, we become holy. We become sanctified because of his sacrifice once and for all. No longer am I bringing my best lamb. No longer am I bringing a pigeon or whatever it is I am to to sacrifice. It is Jesus lays himself on the altar and is crucified. He lays himself on the altar and is crucified. Do you know what he gave up? All of his self-satisfaction. All of his own personal comfort. He gave up all of those things. Like, how, how are we gonna become a people that are, not, are, that are not living in dysfunction? How are we gonna become a people who are bonded together? It's because the cornerstone is Jesus. And that cornerstone sets the trajectory of our life. It marks us, it shapes us, it, it, it is never changing. And so the question for us this morning is, is your life shaped by, is it marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if it's shaped and it's marked by His gospel, then what happens is this, is that we can admit through repentance. Here are the desires that I have that are not in line with the apostles or the prophets that the Old and New Testament. Here are the things that are of the flesh in my life that I deeply desire. And yet I'm totally loved by the cornerstone. Is I can admit, I can repent. And that's an invitation to you and to me. There's not just some of us, it's all of us who are deeply in need of repentance over the way that we've treated the church because the church is the temple of God, it is a family, it is a nation, and it is God's plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth. That is what the church is. That's what Jesus has done for you so that you can die to your preferences, so that you can die to your desires so that you can live fully in the unity that he really has for you. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to go to communion in a moment, but I just, I just want to ask you, how does your understanding of the church square with this teaching? How does your understanding of how God brings unity square with this passage?